My name is Heidi and I love stories. Funny stories and sad stories and what on earth just happened to stories. As it turns out, the Bible is full of them. And after two decades in Sunday school, plus a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready, this is Messy Scripture. The last time we saw Elijah, he was on the run from Queen Jezebel, who was upset because Elijah had, well, Elijah's God, i.e. God, had totally embarrassed her God Baal. Elijah journeys for a full day into the wilderness, lays down under a tree, and tells God that he should just strike him down. There's no reason for him to live. He's laying there in the middle of nowhere, asking to die. And when he's done, he falls asleep, and an angel wakes him up later to give him food. That's right. God sends an angel to kind of babysit Elijah as he deals with this deep trouble. The angel even brought cake. I mean, and also water, but cake! So Elijah eats it and then falls back asleep, and again an angel comes and wakes him up and gives him food and tells him that he has a long journey ahead and so he needs to eat because he's going to have a ways to go. So Elijah eats and he drinks and then he gets up and goes 40 days and nights into the wilderness all the way to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. He climbs up the mountain and hides in a cave and he hears God's voice, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah lets God have it. He's like, I have defended you and defended God nonstop. I have been jealous for you. I have made sure that I kept my heart clean. And now all the prophets besides me are dead and Jezebel's hunting me. And then God tells him to go outside to stand before the Lord. Elijah goes outside and there is a windstorm. So strong that like the mountain is cracking. Rocks are falling it's huge, and God passes by the mountain during the wind, but God himself is not actually in the wind. And then an earthquake hits, and God is not in the earthquake. And then a fire sweeps across the mountain, and God is not in the fire. In the silence that follows the fire, a still small voice whispers to Elijah. He wraps his face and goes further out, and he hears God what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says everything again. I've done everything right. I've defended your name. I've taken down the altars of your enemies. And they're seeking my life. And God tells him to go back. Go back to the wilderness of Damascus. Avoid Hazael to be king over Assyria. And Jehu to be king over Israel. God also commissions Elijah to find one more person, Elisha, S-H-A, instead of J-A-H. Elisha will be prophet after Elijah is retired. God is going to use these new kings, Hazael and Jehu, to punish those who have worshipped after Baal, who have sold their souls to him. He will see how he defends them. How does Baal protect those who worship Baal? You might remember Jeroboam back in Judges and how it kind of became a joke. The same thing will happen here, but God will spare the 7,000 in Israel who have not worshipped Baal. And so Elijah goes out and finds Elisha, who was plowing a field, 12 yoke of oxen, so he's uh, rich. <laughs> and so Elijah commissions Elisha to come with him. They offer a sacrifice to God, and then Elisha basically becomes Elijah's prophet PA until Elijah retires. 
Elijah's retirement is really dope, by the way, but we're not quite there yet. We'll get there, I promise. But for now, Elijah's still on the scene. And Ahab is still on the scene. This might not come as a surprise to you, but Ahab's not, like, super great at keeping his neighbors happy. So Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, attacks Ahab with 32 other kings. He closes in around the city of Samaria and demands that Ahab give him all the silver, all the gold, all his wives, all his children. And uh, that doesn't really sit well with the king of Israel. And so he agrees to it and then kind of goes back on his word. Because the people are like, no, you can't agree to this. This is insane. So Ahab sends back a message saying, basically, uh, if you're just now putting on your armor, don't brag like you're taking it off. Don't talk like this war's won. He had a little bit more guts to talk like this because a prophet came to Ahab and told him God was going to deliver. And Ahab actually does everything right here. He, like, asks the prophet, okay, how is God going to deliver? And the prophet says, by the governors of the districts. And Ahab's like, okay, so who's going to go out first? And the prophet's like, you! Ahab goes out to battle and uh, basically just sends Ben-Hadad to town, like, kicks his butt. And then the prophet comes back and is like, all right, that was a great victory you had there. Now strengthen yourself, because Ben-Hadad's coming back in the spring. To no great surprise, this prophet, who was not Elijah, he's still working with his PA over somewhere else, the prophet was right. As soon as Ben-Hadad returned to Syria, the Syrians were like, okay, here's the thing, though. The gods in Israel are gods of the hills. Of course they defeated us on their own turf, but if we draw them out into a valley, their gods will serve no purpose. This is a pretty common thing you see in the ancient world. And it makes a lot of sense. Gods were regional. So some people groups believed that gods were only effective in hills or under trees or whatever. Like the god of the forest is not going to help you very much if you're stuck in a desert. So the Syrians have good reason to believe that the gods in Israel won't be effective. What they don't realize is that there are not gods plural in Israel. There is one god and that god is the Lord in all caps. If you haven't actually opened a Bible and read some of these stories, it might not be clear that the Lord's name, at least in English, is always written in all caps. It's a representation of his name, which we don't actually know how to say because the vowels were removed so that it would never be taken in vain. So in the spring when Ben-Hadad comes back, the Syrians camped about look like they're filling the whole landscape and the people of Israel, who are on the other side, look like, and I quote, two little flocks of goats. But God is like, the Syrians think that I'm only a god of the hills and not a god of the valleys. So we're going to defeat this entire multitude so that they can see that I am the Lord, all caps. To make a long story short, 100,000 Syrians were killed that day by the people of Israel. And the king, Ben-Hadad, does escape. He sneaks into the city of Samaria and his servants are like, this is not going to work. Maybe if we put you in sackcloth and cover you in ashes and you surrender yourself, the king of Israel will spare your life. And Ahab, like an idiot, does. The king is like, let's set up a negotiation. My dad set up bazaars in Samaria, like trade posts. So you can have those in Damascus. And Ahab agrees to it. This is not, by the way, what God's plan was. And he lets Ben-Hadid go. And now prophets have to follow up. So one guy in a group of prophets asks another to hit him in the face. And he doesn't. Because, you know, that's weird. But since the command had come from God, the prophet who did not do the hitting uh, was struck dead. <laughs> now the prophet asks another person to hit him in the face, please. And this time the guy does. So he bandages his eye and goes to Ahab and is like, Oh, king, I was told to guard someone and that if they 
escaped, I would lose my life, and I did this and that, and the guy escaped. And Ahab is like, well, you've decided it. Your life for his life. And then the prophet, like, very quickly removes the bandages and is like, ha ha, I'm a prophet. And because you didn't strike down the king who God devoted to destruction, it will be your life for his life, your family for his family. And Ahab is upset, but not upset like David would be, I have sinned, falling before God, that kind of thing. Now, Ahab is sullen and upset and annoyed and frustrated, and he's just like, all the way back to Samaria. Ahab was good at being vexed, because there was a guy named Naboth who had a vineyard right next to Ahab's house, and Ahab's like, hey, Naboth, sell me your vineyard, or I can give you a better vineyard, I can pay you, whatever you'd like. And Naboth is like, this is my inheritance. Like, of my fathers, of my tribe. This is the land that God gave my family. No. And Ahab pouts and moans all around the house until Jezebel is like, oh my God, do you not realize you are king? This is not that difficult. All you need to do is hire a couple people with a really low standards to lie and say that Naboth did this or that and get him executed. And so they do. Ahab like listens to this horrible advice instead of realizing that, huh, just because I'm the king doesn't mean everything belongs to me. Nope. He hires a couple scrubs, has Naboth accused falsely of crimes. Naboth is executed and he seizes the vineyard. And at that point, Elijah comes back onto the scene and God is like, Elijah, it's time to go have a conversation with King Ahab. And Elijah goes. He rolls up and he's like, so Ahab, good day for murder. Let me just warn you, the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth they'll lick up your blood too. And Ahab asks Elijah, all right, you bastard, how did you find me? And Elijah's like, I found you because you broke covenant with God and you murdered somebody and you're a real bad king and you've been doing everything awful since Jezebel came into the picture. And in fact, let me make one thing clear to you. Not only will your entire family, every male in Israel disappear, your whole house will be wiped out, but your wife Jezebel will be eaten by dogs in the city. That'll happen to anyone in your family that dies in the city. Their body will be eaten by dogs and not given a proper burial. Anyone that dies in the country will be eaten by birds of prey and vultures. It's worth mentioning that Ahab is by far the worst king Israel has had, and he wasn't born the worst guy that took the throne. But he let his wife really lead him along. Now, that could sound like I'm putting all the blame on Jezebel. Like, she's so evil. But here's the thing. Girls can be evil, too. Men can be evil. Everybody's capable of evil. And a lot of people are especially capable of evil if they're having sex with someone who tells them to do bad things. This is like a known thing. And so Ahab kind of gets his head out of his ass for like five minutes and cries out to God, genuinely repentant for once not just vexed and sullen but actually upset about what he has done and so finally god sends elijah back to ahab and this is the message this time ahab you've humbled yourself before god and so everything that i said would happen will happen but not in your lifetime it will happen in your son's lifetime and so ahab put away his sackcloth and ashes and ate again stopped his fast what exactly is going to end Ahab's reign will come up in the next episode of Messy Scripture. But first, we're going to have to head down south to Judah to find out who exactly is sitting on the throne there and see just how the thrones of Israel and Judah interconnect to bring down the house of Ahab and raise up a new king. <laughs>